Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, my high-vibing friends. I'm so excited to be back on the Abundance Alchemist podcast with you. I know it's been a little bit since I jumped on on a solo episode, but I was really excited to come on and talk to you today about happiness. I want to start with just kind of the idea of that we always think that there's a secret to happiness, right? And there are some things that assist with happiness, but often we have it wrong. When we actually look at the research of what is happening in the brain, where happiness happens, when it's increased, when the brain activity is increased, we can see that some of the things we do are a little bit backwards. Um, You know, we think that, we know that happiness comes from within and it truly does, but there are so many other aspects that help us create that happiness that we don't pay attention to. And then we get in this place where we almost like fear emotions. And, you know, I truly believe that Every single emotion that we have is making up a healthy life for us. All of our emotions make a healthy life and have a place in a healthy life for us. We get into this place where we fear, um, you know, emotions like anger or frustration or sadness. And we don't think about how these emotions are actually helping us. I mean, like for anger, for example, helps us remove obstacles towards our goals, right? If we become angry, we we figure out it causes an emotional reaction within our body and we figure out, okay, how can I move forward? How can I get past this? The anger happens because there's an obstacle there or there's something that's occurring that's not in alignment with your values. So anger in itself is really powerful in an emotion because it can show you What's happening with your beliefs, what's happening with your external reality, how you're moving towards your goals, if you're reaching your goals, all these different things. So again, that's just one example of an emotion that we really do fear, but we don't need to. It's powerful to embrace our emotions and really understand our emotions. And so there's a lot of different ideas and theories about, you know, why our emotions happen, why we do what we do, all these different things. Um, and I've touched on a couple before, but I really like one um, that's known as like reality therapy or reality choice therapy. It's a theory that basically empowers people to know that they have a choice. Like behavior doesn't just occur. We have a choice and we do things because we get something out of it. And I believe that that's always what we're doing. We always get something out of what we're doing, regardless if it's labeled as positive or negative, even like a self-sabotaging behavior, right? We talked a lot about self-sabotage in a previous episode. We're getting something out of that. We're getting, um, you know, feeling righteous or feeling right or, Um, even keeping ourselves from our goals. Like there is, again, it's not a positive, it doesn't have to be positive for us to get something out of what we're doing, but we do have a choice. And so that's where I really like um, reality or or choice therapy. They, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, You know, I think I I heard, had a professor one time tell me that reality therapy is like the train tracks and um, choice therapy is the train. So kind of this idea that we create, our reality, we base it on our values, what we want the external you know, world to look like. And then our choices move through that and dictate that. But another piece of reality therapy that I find really interesting 
um, is, you know, what they say those basic human values are, um, or the basic human needs, not in values. I apologize. The basic human needs. So they look at survival, love and belonging, power, freedom, fun, and pleasure. And I know some of those go together, but you know, when I look at this, I really think, yes, this is what dictates our behaviors, right? We do things to fit in, to feel loved, to feel like we belong to somewhere. We do things to feel like we have freedom. I mean, what are some of the biggest goals? Like time and financial freedom are some of those things that people desire because we want to have the freedom to do what we want to do or to travel where we want to go or to create what we want to create or all those different things, right? One of the big things about people creating their own business is the freedom, the time freedom, the financial freedom again. So we go for this place of freedom. Um, survival, obviously survival, right? A lot of our, you know, that fight or flight response. We also talked about with Freya in a previous episode, the freeze response. So all those things are really survival mechanisms that come in. And again, emotions go off of those too. Um, fun and pleasure. Oh my gosh, this one is huge, right? We do so many things to feel pleasure or to have fun in our lives. Like we, you know, do activities that we like, we have hobbies, we do different things because we want to feel like we're having fun and pleasure in our lives. And power. This one I think a lot of us struggle with because I think that we would like to think that power is not important to us, but I think it really goes into this place of how you define power because we all do want power, not necessarily over other people, not necessarily being like, you know, in the sense of fame or recognize, but power in the sense of like power of our own choices, power, you know, of ourselves are, again, that kind of goes with this idea of freedom. So those really are what I think is our true kind of basic human needs, right? We have like these physiological needs we need for survival. We have these self-esteem needs, which I think can go under love and belonging. Again, there's a lot of different theories that look at this, but the importance of knowing these is because they dictate our behaviors and our emotion. And so again, one thing with reality choice therapy that is really impacts and it will impact happiness um, is this idea that our behaviors are a choice. And that we have these things called total behaviors. And what that means is basically that our behaviors are happening simultaneously with our thoughts, the physiological response in our body, our emotions, and all of it, right? It's happening at the same time. And, and this is where it gets a little different because some people believe you know, that your thoughts come and then your emotions come and then your behaviors come or your emotions happen, then your thoughts happen, then your behaviors. And I really think that you know, there could be that could be the case. But I think that when we try to differentiate them, that's when we get into some trouble. And, you know, we can do things that focus on thoughts or do things that just focus on emotions. And that's powerful. But when we try to, like, interrupt our initial reaction, that's when things get a little tough. Because if they're, they happen so quickly. I mean, you think about like your reaction to something, if something upsets you or angers you, how quick is that reaction, right? You react immediately. So how can you stop and say, oh, my thought happened first, or my emotion happened first, or the physiological response of my body happened first? It's really hard to do that. So yes, I think we need to do things that are specific to, you know, changing thought patterns and changing emotions and 
you know, being in our emotions, because we are a really intellectual community, but stepping into that place of where we are in our emotions, this is all really important. But where it's not important is figuring out what happens first, because they kind of all happen relatively in the same time frame of, you know, what we're doing in our behavior. Okay. So I want to also talk about this before we really dive into this idea of happiness again, because happiness is really like this universal human desire, right? It kind of goes into like this place of love and belonging. It goes into, you know, our quality of life. It goes into our experiences, all this different stuff. I mean, we do so much about happiness, but before I dive into that, I want to touch on this, that thought again, that I said that all emotions have a space and a healthy life. And I also want to talk about this idea that our emotions used to be believed that they all happened in our limbic system in our brain. That has been proven incorrect, right? It's so we we have a bunch of different places where emotions happen within our brain, and specific emotions happen in specific regions of our brain. So just keep that in mind because we're going to talk a little bit about why that's important. Um, but just know that we are really, really powerful. And we actually can change our brain circuitry, meaning we can change how our brain goes to reactions, like how much we're in a specific region of our brain with a positive emotion. So this is, again, where happiness really comes into play um, because we can do something about it. So happiness. Okay. I'm going to give you like a little bit of statistics because I think it's pretty interesting to pay attention to like actually how much we invest in happiness. And it makes sense, but also like what is happiness, right? Because this is something like I, I, when I run a group, I, um, at one of the treatment facilities that I've worked at, I used to do this group and it was always about um, different basic human needs, kind of like we're talking about now. And we'd always get to this idea of love and belonging. And before I would do anything else, I would say, what does love mean to you? And I would go around and I'd ask each of the clients present. And every single time, love was different. Love was different what it meant to them, how they felt they received it, how they felt they gave love or showed love. It was always different. And we know that, right? Because we could see like the five love languages. That's a pretty common um, idea. So we know that people experience and show love in different ways, but also like the word love is very different of what people even think that love feels like. So I encourage you right now to just take a second and think about what is happiness, right? Because when you ask people, it's different and it's different because there's no one way to get happiness. We keep searching as like a human species for the secret to happiness. Like what is the one thing? that is going to create happiness. And, and to be honest, like this is really where a lot of like the self-help industry goes. Um, so alone in the self-help industry and like I saw a study and, and it was from uh, some years ago. So I know it's even more than this, but I think it was in like 2009 or 2010, there was $10 billion spent in the self-help industry alone. And a majority of that came from Hay House Publications. 
because they publish so many self-help books, right? And their their owner is really known for um, her self-help. Um, her name is uh, Louise Hayes. She, you know, really talks about how thoughts create everything. And she goes even into this place of like thoughts create, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia and all these different things. Um, you know, I heard her in one of her speeches say that, you know, Alzheimer's is um, because someone doesn't want to be present in the world. And And I think that, you know, we know our thoughts are so incredibly powerful and creating, but I don't think that our thoughts alone create everything because how many of us are really mean to ourselves, right? We're our own worst critics. So if all of our thoughts created our reality, we wouldn't have a lot of the beautiful things in our lives that we have, right? I think that our thoughts are extremely powerful in creation. Absolutely. They are a major player. However, again, how does it serve us if we try to like piece apart or pull apart like pieces of ourselves? We are holistic beings. We have every different piece and way we function is intertwined with us creating. Our emotions are extremely powerful in creation because if we're in a space like we know that manifesting happens at its best time and easiest when we're in a space of gratitude. Is gratitude fully in our thoughts? Is gratitude fully in our emotions? Is gratitude, you know, fully in our physical body? I would argue that it's in all of them, right? I would argue that, again, like taking us into pieces is not necessarily helpful if we're not bringing it all together at the end. We have to come all together and realize that change and lasting change truly occurs when we're doing things on all levels of our being, when we're, you know, addressing thought patterns, addressing emotions, addressing physiological reactions in our body, addressing what they feel like, all these different things, addressing our spiritual component, right? When we address all these things, we can create. I mean, we are incredibly powerful. Like I can't even explain how amazing we are and just learning even about like the through the science we know nowadays is just unbelievable what we can do as humans and and that's just the tip of the iceberg right we know that we know that there's so much of the brain that we fully don't even understand and that we don't even use as humans so really um what i'm saying about all this is that We need to pay attention to what happiness is to us, but also use knowledge that is backing it up and integrate that because I'm all for the self-help industry, right? Like I'm in the self-help industry. I love what I do. I um, want to help people. I'm going into counseling with kind of, you know, this more holistic spiritual approach. So everything I do is kind of falls into this like self-help industry. However, the one thing about this industry is it's not regulated. And what that means, I think is, is kind of twofold. I think one, on one hand, it's awesome that it's not regulated because then people are showing up with like things that have worked for them and, you know, showing different options and things to people and inspiring people. Like it's a beautiful thing that's not regulated, but at the same time, it's not regulated. So people can put out anything and say it's, it's a fix, right? Again, we go to that quick fix. Like that's what a lot of the stuff in the self, um, help, you know, industry is like, you know, 
you can have happiness in 20 days if you do this, this, and this, or, um, you know, this, this, and this. And, and some of that stuff, yeah, absolutely, it can increase happiness or it can, you know, reduce stress or eliminate stress or do all these things. But again, like it's fleeting, right? We know that happiness is not something we stay in. Not even, neither is anger, neither is fear, neither is sorrow. Like feelings are fleeting. They're a time frame that we're in it and then it changes. And the other co- really cool thing to think about this and is really, really powerful is let me share this study with you because I think it kind of puts out a lot. So recently um, I was I was watching this movie and it's called The Emotional Life, um, The Rethinking Happiness. And this is really where it kind of some of my thought process and like, what am I doing for happiness? And um, got me thinking about like what I needed to do and come on and share for this podcast episode. And so one of the studies that was shared in that film is um, just really simple. They went to a gym and they asked people before their workout, if they went on an island, if they would want food or water. That was it. They couldn't have both. They could only have one. And it was for three days. So they would survive. It was just, which one would you be less uncomfortable with? And then they asked other people the same question after they completed their workout. And what they found is that people that had completed their, that previous to their workout had said food majority of the time. And people after their workout had said water majority of the time. And so they're like, okay, what's the difference? The brain we have talked about cannot differentiate emotions. So what that means is that your brain does not know if you are being chased by a tiger or if you are nervous about a test. It doesn't differentiate severity. The other piece of this is it doesn't differentiate emotions in the sense that it, it can't, your brain doesn't conceptualize that your emotions about something can change over time. And so what that means is like when you're creating your goals based on something that made you happy in a moment, your brain is like, yeah, I will be extremely happy when I have this full time. But it doesn't conceptualize that that may not be the case because things change over time, including ourselves, including emotions, including what makes us happy. So this idea of, you know, we base what we want and what we desire and what we need off of what our physical body is and our emotional state currently is, which is why that study makes sense of before people were working out, they were hungry. After people working out, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm thirsty. That was what their body was doing. They weren't consciously aware of the shift that was occurring. However, they were responding to what was physically occurring within their body, what their emotion was desiring, what they wanted. So think about this when you're looking at, okay, what are my goals about happiness? What are what do I feel like is going to make me happy? Because I've talked about a lot this idea of manifesting And a lot of times we'll manifest something and then we'll get it and we'll be like, oh, great, I got the new house. And then you move on. What's next, right? You don't hang out in that goal. You don't ever hang out really in this like excitement of, oh my gosh, I got this beautiful house that I've wanted or I've dreamed of or the new car or the new job or whatever it is. And then the other piece of this is we'll see so often, we all see these people that look like they're so extremely successful and they're not happy. And you're like, how could they not be happy? They've got all these materialistic things and they're, you know, wealthy and blah, 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 right? How are they not happy? 
And it's because they either, there's, there's several reasons. It's because one, they were basing what they thought they wanted off of societal standards, right? Not even their own. They weren't paying attention to the emotion that was behind what they actually desired or thought that they desired, like why they wanted what they wanted. And that's my biggest thing about manifesting. If you've heard me talk about manifesting, I always say, okay, but why do you want that? What is the emotion behind it? Because the emotion is what you really want. The thing that you're looking for, the goal you're trying to achieve is a means that you feel like you're going to get that emotion, right? So it's not even like, I don't want to just want a new car. I want a new car because it will make me feel happiness or it will make me feel like this is, you know, that the dialogue that occurs of like, I will feel this when I get this, I will feel content and happy and free when I work for myself and have my own job or my own career, like, you know, my own company or whatever, or I will, um, feel pleasure when I, and love and belonging when I lose 30 pounds and reach my goal weight, like whatever it is. Right. But we, what is behind that? So paying attention to that emotion wasn't there or they got to this place where they don't even know what happiness is. And I don't mean that in like a negative connotation of like, oh, they're not, they have no idea, but that we've kind of lost track again of like, what does happiness mean to us? Because it's this universal human desire, but what does it even mean? So go back to that definition. When I said like, take a second and just think about like, what does, what is happiness to you? Because there's a lot of different things that people think happiness is, and it's not really what it is. Like people say, oh, like if you ask people, I mean, what do they say, right? Like money, money makes people happy. Like people will say, oh, wealth doesn't make people happy. But some people definitely believe it does, right? Some of us still strive for wealth because we think it will make us happy. And, you know, that can be because we think it's, you know, going to give us more freedom. So again, going to that basic human need, if you're looking at reality therapy, okay, I can see that. Um, it might might feel like it's going to give power to people. Um, some people will say like their children make them happy. Some people will say their spouse, their friends, their social connections, um, their hobbies, their animals. There's so many things when we look at like what makes us happy. And I want to talk about a couple because I think they're the ones that we go to most. And so I touched on one wealth. So there's been a lot of studies done and there's kind of some contradicting things here, right? Because I think a lot of us want to say that we know that wealth doesn't make us happy because material doesn't make us happy. However, again, go back to that thing of like, what do people strive for in society? And like, I'm guilty of this too, right? Like we can know a lot of the time that like the big, bigger house or the fancy car or the, you know, this, this, or this can't, won't make us happy. But at the same time, like we strive for it because we think we will experience happiness. And that's a very like societal ingrained thing in our lives. So research shows though, that a higher income level, a higher income can actually make someone less happy because it causes more emotional problems. And here's where it gets dicey because I'm not going to say that people with less money are happier because again, there, there are studies that show that people in poverty 
are less happy. And then there's people, there's studies that show that people that win the lottery are actually less happy, right? So it's kind of this idea that's kind of up in the air. But what is consistent in research about wealth and happiness is it depends on what someone uses their wealth for. That's what matters. That is where the happiness comes from. When we see, especially like with lottery winners, there's been tons of research done about this. You Like we know that, um, I don't even remember the statistic, but like a huge percent of lottery winners are broke within like the first five years or something um, because they blow all their money. And that's like a different topic altogether. But the idea of this is, excuse me, that if they're blowing it on material, drugs, sex, things that make them feel pleasure in a sense, these kind of like false senses of pleasure or, you know, like exotic vacations, like very temporary things, right? Or like huge houses or all these things. But the other aspect of the lottery winners, they lose a lot of social connections. They lose friends. They could lose all these different things, right? It's really this like loss of identity that occurs because there's a new way that happens. And I and keep that in mind, identity, right? So going back to what is when is it consistent of what they use it for? So research shows that poverty, people that come from poverty and would lo- and win the lottery are are happier. They will say that they that happiness is increased. And again, happiness is partially self-report because it's not like a we feel like we have this universal understanding of what happiness is, but we, on an individual level, it's different, but there's also like neurophysiological studies that show what, where happiness or pleasure is occurring in the brain that shows increased parts. So this is like physical research as well. Um, But the other thing is when people spend money on enhancing and helping others, like, helping family members go to college or helping, you know, you'll hear about like kids that won the lottery that help pay for like their parents' house, like they give back. That is when happiness increases with wealth. When happiness is blown on temporary pleasures, that's when it shows that it's not actually increasing wealth because it's going to material things. We know that material doesn't make us happy and it is, that is true. Again, it's the emotion behind what we're trying to manifest that makes us happy. Next, kids. So many people will fight me on this and say kids make people happier. But research shows that kids do not actually increase happiness. However, social connections do. So, Again, how you are looking at your kids, if they are a connection socially, if you're connecting because of your kids with other people, that increases happiness. Kids alone do not increase happiness. There are certain things that will give a person short pleasure with kids, like um, pleasure centers in a mother's brain when a baby smiles at them will it like give an endorphin release, right? So that is like an instant. But again, we're not talking about this temporary pleasure. That's the difference. Happiness can be fleeting, but it's also something that we're going for making longer lasting in our lives. So we're not looking at the, you know, short pleasure. We're looking at like what actually is the state of happiness. The next one, marriage. Currently, the statistics of divorce are 45 to 50% of marriages in 2020 
um, end in divorce. That's a big percentage. So if you ask someone if marriage makes someone happier, to be honest, like my go-to would be no. Like I'm extremely happy in my marriage. I feel like my marriage makes me happier. But when I work with clients and I observe other people's marriages and see the interactions that occur, and I'm not saying by any means that my marriage is perfect. However, I don't feel like their marriage is making them happier. Something my husband and I do is very much work on communication and helping each other become our best as an individual and a team. And I think that that's something that can get lost sometimes in marriage. But this is the kicker. Again, I said social connections make people happier. That is one thing that is overarching in happiness anywhere, culturally accepted, all over the world. Social connections link to happiness. So think about that with marriage. That is a huge social connection. If you have a healthy marriage, if you have a partner that you love and respect and you feel like they're helping you and you're helping them and it's reciprocal, then this makes sense. Married people on average tend to be wealthier, healthier, and happier because they're sharing their life. And that's really what the bottom is, right? Let's go back to kids, marriage, friends. We want to share basic human need, love and belonging. We want to share our lives. We are not meant to do this alone. And you know, I think if this goes back to like, we can look at like older generations. Um, sometimes we think that like happiness decreases because they're losing friends because of death or because of, um, you know, uprooting or moving to a different, like a retirement community or all these different things. But this also matters in where we are personally in our lives. Social connections are important and will help with overall happiness dependent on our development where we're going in our lives, right? Because a lot of times in our, in our lifespan development, we go to this place where we get to a place of understanding and kind of like appreciating our lives. So we go a lot more into the space of, again, like internal happiness. And again, we know happiness is created from within. However, this is why I said there are other aspects because external factors do matter. We are not just internal creatures. We are external. I don't like, if you haven't got this yet, I don't like when people try to separate how we are. Yes, you can look at like in the spiritual aspect of like we're fifth dimensional beings. We're also third dimensional beings. We are a spirit. We are a soul, but we're also a human here on earth. We do have thoughts. We do have emotions. We do have a physical body. We do have spiritual connection. We have all of it. So all of it has to be addressed, just like internal happiness is affected by our external realities. Our internal can create our external, but they impact each other. They go hand in hand. So happiness, social relationships, work, our sense of self, meeting our physiological needs, having a meaning, and again, social connections. Those are big things that pop up in research that show these are actually what stimulates happiness in the brain. This is where happiness is at, right? And I do want to touch on this idea, though, because I think that sometimes we look at 
like these inspiring stories, because I said, look at personal development or personal, or, you know, self-help that world. There's a lot of inspiration and inspiring stories. And I think that's incredible and amazing. And also begs to question, like, how can some people go through extremely traumatic events or, you know, extremely like heartbreaking events and come out and be so much happier and other people can go through either similar things or, you know, things that are worse or better. Like I'm not going to, you know, I don't ever compare trauma, but people can go through something different that's traumatic to them and not be able to move past it and not be able to be happy again. Right. So it kind of goes to beg this question of like, how can people go through these extreme traumas and still experience amazing happiness and give back after? So I want to go back to that film that I talked about, The Emotional Life Rethinking Happiness. In the film, there was a man that was um, in, he was a Vietnam vet. And he, unfortunately, his plane was shot down and he was taken and captured for eight years. And he was tortured I mean, like they defined the torture and I'm, I'm not going to go into the torture, but oh my gosh, like I was literally six to my stomach hearing about what, what was occurring. And the other piece of this is again, this was eight years. So for three of those years, he was in solitary confinement on his own. And he said that like, you know, how he got through was incredible. Like he shared, you know, he like mapped out this dream house and thought about like how many bricks were in it and like all the stuff he was going to do for his family when he got back. But the point of this is he went through this extreme trauma. He was released and went back, had a wife and a son and, you know, built this dream house and he was doing therapy and, and talking to the filmmakers and they asked and said, you know, if you could delete this piece in your life, would you? And he said no. And it wasn't only that he had said no. It was because he said that he learned things about himself that he doesn't feel he would have been able to learn any other way. And that's why he wouldn't delete this terrible traumatic event. And, you know, I resonated with that a lot when I heard that because of, like, my own story. I shared a little bit of, like, um, you know, my story of, like, sexual assault and, you know, all these different things that occurred in my life. And I've had a lot of people ask me, like, would you, you know, if you could like get away or delete those pieces of your life, would you? And my answer was always no. And people would be like, that's kind of bizarre. And I always said like, it's because I um, feel like it made me who I am today. And I like who I am today. I feel like it, you know, moved me into like the career that I want to do and like what, you know, how I want to impact people and, and my goals and my dreams. And I strongly believe that everything happens for a reason. And I know that some people hate that quote and that's fine, but it plays very true for me in my life. And so, you know, I never really understood why this was the case. Like, even for me personally, like why I didn't want to let go of this. And people would always be like, oh, that makes you so strong. And you're, you know, so inspiring. And I was like, that's not, that's not why I'm saying any of that. That's not why I'm doing any of that. I don't need, that's not the point. But I never understood again, like why that could happen. Like why this guy that, you know, was tortured could go through all this stuff and just like amazing stories. I mean, we've all heard like crazy stories about inspiring people that do incredible things and give back. And they're so happy or they appear to be so happy or they report that they're so happy. And this process, but then the other piece of this is like, we get bogged down in like our daily stressors, our daily hardships. Right. And it's hard for us to have happiness in those. So I'm always like, 
okay, I got through all these extreme things or, you know, that guy got through these, this veteran got through these extreme things. Like many of them do. And then we come back and we have daily stressors and we're not able to get past that and experience happiness because we're stressed out or frustrated about little things that are happening in our lives. It's like, why does that, why is that the case? And so here's your answer. It's called adaptation. (laughs) And I think that we know that, but the human brain has this crazy ability that when we feel like we don't have a choice, we can adapt and experience happiness in anything. Is that not crazy? Like the man that was talking about being in solitary confinement for three years, he talked about experiences with happiness because he created like a a tapping code with another um, person in a a cell um, that was also in solitary confinement. And I mean, again, the power of social connection right there, even though he wasn't like able to physically speak or see the person or, you know, touch the person or feel the touch person, he was able to communicate. And he talked about happiness in that sense. And that blew me away. I was like, wow, he really adapted to that. And that makes sense, right? We can adapt and experience happiness in anything. We feel we don't have a choice. Like when we feel that there's no like resolution, this is how it is. It's absolute. And then daily stressors, we feel like we have a choice. When we feel like we haven't a choice, we don't adapt and we go into fight. And that is where we go into this place of feeling other things besides happiness because we go into this place of fighting and that causes suffering, right? And that's a choice, right? When we feel like we have a choice, which the choice is to fight, we can experience suffering, which again goes back to that idea of our behaviors are not automatic. We choose what we do, which is not a bad thing. This is super empowering. We have choices about how we experience life. We have choices about how we can be in happiness. And that's incredible. And you know what, I want to say too, like the key to happiness that in these situations is resilience. We are really resilient beings and we can go through incredible things and still come out just like I've been talking about, right? And that is resilience. When we are resilient and we decide that we're not going to let things in our lives break us or look at ourselves as broken. Ugh, I hate that. Nobody's broken. Nobody is broken. We can make a choice to work on ourselves, to show up how we want to show up, to create what we want to create. Again, we are so powerful. And so I mentioned too that this idea of identity came into play because I think that this comes into play with this veteran, but it also comes into play when, you know, with lottery winners, like we're talking about, when we feel like we have a loss of identity, that is what truly is something that causes us to struggle with happiness. And, you know, we notice this in a lot of different pieces. So when I said, like, if somebody loses their job, unemployment, they're not super happy. If somebody has health concerns or, you know, is injured, all these different, you know, different things, they're not happy. And there's a lot of underlying ideas of why that is. But if you look at this overarching thing of like, 
things that make people unhappy or they label themselves as unhappy, it's because they feel like they lost a piece of their identity or they're trying to figure out a new way of identity. We don't like to be in the unknown, but we are being really pushed to be in the unknown a lot. I mean, COVID, huge unknown, right? It was really uncomfortable for a lot of people. But there were people that experienced happiness during that time, right? There were people that did the work on themselves and and had that opportunity to do so. Other people did not. And absolutely, right? It's, I mean, people have different opportunities in life. There's different things based on our experiences, our choices, our emotions, our beliefs, all of that. We're very individual beings. But I want you to ask yourself when you're doing things, and choosing things and looking at different things that, you know, change your identity or where you have a choice in something, ask yourself as what if what you're doing is working. I heard on that film, you know, for the, um, that I mentioned, um, they said, are you ready to rejoin the living again to one of the, the uh, case, the people in the case studies? And that was really impactful to me. I was like, Wow. I didn't think about if I'm so stuck in what I'm doing and not showing up actively in my life and just kind of letting things happen. Like I talk a lot about like checking things off the to-do list or checking things off your list. I'm not really living. And if I'm not being in a place where I'm working on my, on my identity or moving towards happiness or creating happiness, am I living? Right? It's kind of this, this odd concept to think about. Um, and, and I think it, it really ties in well to this idea of, you know, like, what can we do? And, you know, part of this, like I talked about, you know, we've talked about different things is like looking at your identity and focusing on the needs and, and your choices and all, and, you know, the emotion behind things, excuse me. And one thing that, Again, this film, you guys got to watch it again. It's called The Emotional Life Rethinking Happiness because it really just made me think and dive in and feel like pulled to share this different stuff. Um, and then one of the other studies they, they showed in this film was um, about meditation. And this is what really interested me because I know the powers of meditation and I love meditation, but I'm not consistent in meditation. And I know the benefits. So then it's like, just what I said is what I'm doing working for me. Well, I mean, it's working, but again, is it like living? Could I be happier if I'm having less stress or, you know, helping again, those places in my mind where positive emotion occurs? Yes. And that's what meditation does. And so the study showed that they, the Dalai Lama invited a researcher um, to, to, do a experiment, um, on like hook up a bunch of things to the brain, um, the head and like, and measure, you know, brain activity while Buddhist monks were meditating. And they did that. And then they looked at people that don't meditate and, and kind of compare the research. And what they found was really incredible. It was that avid meditators, like Buddhist monks, when they were meditating, their brain was not in a relaxed state. It was actually in a heightened active state. It was heightened in activity, but not in the entire brain. 
in the left prefrontal cortex, which is where a lot of, it's a sensitive piece of your brain for positive emotions. And so by doing this and meditating more and more over time, they were able to see that not only was their heightened activity more often in that left prefrontal cortex for positive emotions, but also that the brain actually physically changed in its makeup. So when I say, when I said at the beginning, like we have the power to change our literal brain circuitry, like how our brain works and how it reacts, we actually do. I mean, these Buddhist monks have shown us that we have the ability to do that through something like a meditation. I mean, that just blows my mind of like, again, how much we have the ability to do. And it made sense too, because they talked about like how, you know, if you ask anybody like physical exercise, what does it do? It helps our physical body. It's good for our physical health. And then, yeah, it can increase like endorphins and different things for our brain. But why wouldn't you do mental exercise, right? I mean, yes, like stimulating your brain, learning, doing these different things is exciting. But also focusing on emotions from a mental exercise piece is really powerful. Mental exercise can change how our brain is made up and how it works. Just like physical exercise can enhance how your body's physical performance. Mental exercise will enhance your brain's performance. We get it. Like I can consciously understand that, right? But really the power behind it of like, you have the ability to change how your brain works is, for lack of a better word, mind-blowing, right? It's just bizarre. Um, and I think that's that's really kind of where I want to leave this today is there is no secret to happiness. Happiness, like we talked about, can be enhanced by, you know, social interactions. That's a huge one that's overarching, right? And this idea of um, introverts, I'll just touch on this really briefly. There are personality types. Yes, there are introverts and extroverts. However, introverts will still report more happiness when they have social interactions. And I know this is contradictive to like what people think, but even people that like to be alone still report more happiness when they have positive social interaction in their life. They may not need or feel like they need as much time in those interactions as extroverted people, but they still need people. We are not meant to do this alone. You will hear me say this so many times. This life is not meant to do alone. We are here. We are connected. We you know, feel each other. We experience energy exchanges together. Um, I mean, happiness is contagious too. We know that, right? Think about it as like a common cold in a positive way, but people do react. When somebody in your life is happy and you're around them, you're more happy, right? When somebody in your life is not happy or experiencing like stress and frustration, it's hard. You feel that, right? We are empathetic beings. And so we take on other people's emotions. We feel other people's emotions. So pay attention to that when happiness is there, be around it, be around those people. There's no secret to happiness. There are ways that we can help create happiness. There are ways that we experience more happiness, but there's no secret to happiness. Happiness 
is a choice, moment to moment. It is not something that you are going to achieve. It is something that we actively work in every day, every second, just like our lives. Because it's part of who we are. And it is a universal human desire that we all want to have. So keep that in mind as you're moving through your day. Because you deserve it. You deserve happiness. And that is all. I know that was a ton of information, which I feel like is pretty normal um, for for here on on the Abundance Alchemist podcast, um, but I like to get I like to give you guys information and and share you know what I'm interested in what I'm learning and um, like I said when one person raises and grows we all raise and grow right and even if you if people don't look at it on the way of like we're all energetically connected which we are but if if that's kind of hard to understand think about it in like I just said like the idea of interactions if somebody is happy you are happier. Like there is actual physical scientific research to show that that's the case. So if somebody is bettering themselves, then they show up differently in interactions, which therefore the interaction is healthier and happier and feels better. So then it feels better to you and then you're healthier and happier and it feels better in your interactions. Like it's a, it's contagious. So move through and pay attention to how you show up in your life. All right. That was a whole lot of meat and potatoes today, (laughs) but thank you so much for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast today. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review. I love to hear what you guys think, Um, and also feel free to reach out and let me know what you want to hear on the Abundance Alchemist podcast or who. I'd love to um, invite other guests on, and um, we've got some fun ones coming up, but I hope that this was helpful for you guys today, and have a beautiful rest of your day. Bye, guys. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.